title for you this morning is through dangerous toils and snares. Let me begin by saying this. John Newton was an Englishman born in 1725. He lived not far from his pastor in the town in which he grew up. So he grew up like a lot of boys and girls in that era, reading Christian literature and material. But Newton's life took a turn later as he read the classics and grew into young adulthood, he became a sailor on a slave trading ship. And before long, he also became the captain of his own slave trading ship. And as time would have it, he met the woman who would eventually become his wife, Polly, and God's Spirit was working in him, not only in general, but through her, and he was taking books with him on his journeys, and the classics led to the Puritans, and the Puritans led to the Bible, and before you know it, he became a Christian on a slave ship. As a result of his conversion... He looked back and saw the hand of God in so many different incidences in his life. For example, when he was below deck and they were in a great storm, the captain at one point called everyone to the deck and he was the first one out coming up the ladder and the captain pointed at him and said, go back down and get a knife. We need a knife to cut the ropes loose. He turned around and went down to get a knife. The person behind him went up and just in that moment, a great wave came across the deck and swept him off the boat, and he was never seen again. After Newton became a Christian, he looked back on incidences like this and saw the hand of God. And he was so impressed by the grace of God in his life, he wrote these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And just a couple verses later, he wrote these words, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Church, I've borrowed from this old hymn for my title this morning because this is exactly what Peter is talking about when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we're going through various trials. It's what John Newton was talking about in his famous song, Amazing Grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. And so this morning, borrowing from that, I want to share with you two points from 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. The first point is the testing of our faith, and the second is the triumph of our faith. Let's look at the first point together this morning, the testing of our faith. This point can be found in verses 6 and 7. And so I want us to consider this again. Let's read it with our eyes. It says... In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a lot here. I want to break it down one step at a time as we always do, but I'm hoping that you will take each step of this process with consideration because I think part of what we're missing today in 2024 in our church is an allergy to suffering. First, I want you to note that Christians might go through various trials. This isn't my word. This is Peter's word. And of course, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. So if an apostle like Peter says, this is a very real possibility, we can't point our finger at somebody else and say, beware, we must say, I'm listening. Peter is saying that Christians might go through various trials. And of course, I use the word might, that subjunctive, because he says, if necessary. Look at it again with your eyes. Verse 6, it says, in this you rejoice. In what you rejoice? Well, blessed be God the Father who's caused us to be born again, etc., etc. So, so we have this great salvation. God has done this initiative in our life, this work in our life. He's changed us. We are his children looking forward with anticipation to glory and salvation. In this you rejoice, Peter says, though now for a little while, if necessary. I want you to note that Christians might go through various trials. In other words, every single Christian isn't destined to walk the same path as someone else. It would be unfair for us to say that every single Christian is going to be a martyr. That's not a fair estimation of reality, and it isn't a fair interpretation of the Bible. In fact, if we were to take the Bible at face value, Revelation chapter 5 says that God has an exact number of martyrs who will give their life for him. This is not an accident. This is a plan. So what you're going through and what I am going through aren't the same thing, and that's okay. What you and I, however, have to come to terms with is that we will go through stuff. That's a non-negotiable. If necessary, in this time, or he says, though for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. The word trials isn't a, an exceptional word. It's not a special word. In fact, in different places in the New Testament, it's translated not only trials, but sometimes it's translated testing. Sometimes it's translated tribulation. The context kind of gives us clues to that. But what I want you to notice is that they're synonymous terms and Peter isn't focusing so much on the idea that they're going through trials as much as he is trying to help them understand that they're going through various trials. That's the word I want you to focus on. 
It's not if necessary, it might be that you go through various trials. It's that if necessary, you might go through various trials. And I think this changes our, our MO, our worldview, the way we see things, because we typically measure, compare, contrast our lives with others, and the reality of the matter is God's not called you to live somebody else's life. God's called you to live your life. The operative word here, again, is various, various Trials. It's an interesting word. Paul, excuse me, Peter is going to use it again, not only in 1 Peter chapter 1, but he's going to use it again in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It's a beautiful word, and when we get to that point, I think it's going to be even more beautiful. But suffice it to say for this morning that what this word means is multitudinous, different, having all shades of color. That's what various means. Various is various. So the idea, friends, is this. Persecution, difficulty as a Christian in this life can come to you in a variety of ways. A trial for you might be sitting next to someone who's on their deathbed and they ask you to pray for them and encourage them and help them, that can be a trial. It might be that you're working against the grain at your job where maybe you're the only Christian and your worldview is in complete discord with the worldview of everyone else. That's a trial. It might be that you're being mocked and persecuted for your faith. Of course, that would be a trial too. What I'm saying is this. When we are doing everything that we can do in God's strength to be the men and women that God has called us to be, we will experience various trials. You don't have to be on a foreign mission field going through some sort of persecution to be going through a trial. Peter is telling this group of elect exiles, those chosen by God, that even though they are gods and even though they are looking forward to a great inheritance in this life, they will have a variety of tests. You will have a variety of tests. It's not just about what the Apostle Peter is saying to those Christians. It's about what I am saying to you today. You will go through a variety of trials if you are a Christian. But second, I want you to note that the trials serve a purpose, and that is to test your faith. In other words, God is not some sadistic, hateful, conniving person in heaven saying, I love to see them have a bad day. He is allowing some of these circumstances in our life ordaining some of these circumstances in our life so that our faith can be tried and our sincerity tested. One author writes this, God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. There's an expression, you never take an unproven weapon into battle. 
Well, friends, the same is true of Christianity. Our faith must be proven again and again if we would succeed when we need it most. Some of us started attending church when we were younger. We have grown, but our faith has not. And we are surprised at the difficulties we have in this life and the lack of success that we experience in the trials and tribulations that we have at 46 that we didn't when we were 16. Your faith must grow to help you successfully navigate and overcome the trials and tribulations that you have as an adult that you don't as a child. There are some things that are sufficiently resolved with, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But when you get older, that won't do it. When your marriage is struggling or your kids are wandering, when your company says we need to downsize, or you've got a prodigal child, now I lay me down to sleep, won't do it. Your faith has got to mature. Just as you don't go into battle with an unproven weapon, so your faith must be tried and grown and tried and grown so that when you go to battle, you know what you've got. I want you to note thirdly, that successful trials result in reward. Successful trials result in reward. Peter says that there is, and I quote here, quote, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the result. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to say something to you, and, and, and maybe you already know this, maybe you don't, maybe you've wondered about this, but you've got to hear it. It's scriptural. Salvation is not negotiable. You are or you aren't. But what blessing you receive at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is determined by the obedience and the work you invest for his glory. Some of you, so to speak, will get a crown with gems and rubies and jewels. Some of you are going to get a cup full of dirt because you don't do anything for Jesus. You've been told and you have believed that Jesus has done everything for you because you are amazing. You're the sun. You're the moon and you're the stars. And oh, if you were the only person in the planet... Jesus would have come for you. That is the worst theology anybody can tell you. It is not about you. It is about him. And we don't live so he can serve us. We live so that we can serve him. We make much of his name. He doesn't make much of Joe's name. Joe's nobody. Jesus is somebody. The reality of the matter is the rewards that we receive, we praise him with. And all of us will be rewarded for the work at the end of time and the revelation of Jesus Christ 
for what we've done for his glory, for his people in our community, in his name. And everyone will be satisfied. It doesn't matter what it is that you did. At the end of the day, everyone will be satisfied because everyone who is saved will be saved. But the rewards vary. Jonathan Edwards described it this way. He said, if you take one vessel that is one size and another vessel that is a bigger size and submerge them both, they are both full. And that's his way of saying, it doesn't matter what you did in this life, in glory, you'll be satisfied. But that's not to say we're aiming at being the smallest cup we can be. It's also not to say that we are aiming at what we're doing because we want the recognition of Jesus Christ. We ought to be doing it because it was commanded, and we ought to be doing it because it is right. Or how long do we need to do this? Well, Peter says, though now for a little while. When you're young, you have your entire life ahead of you. And when you get old, you say, man, that went by fast. I've been in a lot of rooms where people have died, and I've never heard them talk about TikTok or emails. What matters most to someone who's on their deathbed are the things that matter most to God. And if you get that through your head while you're living, you will be all the more blessed when you're about to die. Peter's teaching us something here, friends. There is a reward awaiting everyone who serves the Lord with gladness. Praise, honor, and more. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8.18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Or he says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think what we are gathering here collectively, both from Peter in chapter 1 and those two references from Paul's writing is this. What God has in store for us, church, is exponentially more glorious than the difficulties we will experience in this life. Oh, it's so hard, but it's going to be that great. But you don't know what I've been through, but God doesn't. He has something in store for you. So don't drag. Focus on the future and what he has in store for you, and the purpose and the meaning of the trials. Malcolm Muggeridge once wrote, quote, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have ever learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness whether pursued or attained. With that in mind, let's go to our second point. We're not only talking about the trial of our faith, but this is where we'll close this morning, the triumph of our faith. This is found in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Peter says. 
Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A couple of points here worth noting. First of all, I'd like you to note the importance of faith. I want you to note the importance of faith. I'm going to say this again. The importance of faith. Peter is saying something to these people, and he's saying something that I think you and I need to appreciate. In verse 8, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Historically verifiable, recorded, Jesus lived. He was here. We know it. There's no argument on that point except by crazy people. The reality of the matter is there is more than enough evidence to prove a historical Jesus. It's not an issue. It's not a negotiation. It is a certainty. He walked. He slept. He ate. Jesus was a man here on earth while also the Son of God. But what Peter is saying is, though you have not seen him, See what I mean? Though you have not seen him, you, you love him. Now, I'm going to say this, and I, I think it's a, an important aspect for us to appreciate. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is, church. Faith is not something that is optional in Christianity. You must have faith. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it is impossible to please God. You cannot have a relationship with God without faith. And what Peter is saying is, I know you never saw Jesus, but I know you love Jesus, and that is something I've got a problem with today. So many people who are Christians or so-called Christians, they don't love Jesus. They've been Christians for however long they've been Christians, and they have never said the words, Jesus, I love you. It's never dawned on them that they should love Jesus because their theology, going back to a previous point I made this morning, their theology is Jesus should be loving me. And certainly there's truth in that. Jesus does love. And certainly Jesus loves well. But the issue that you and I must come to terms with is this. Is it about you or is it about him? And if it's about him, though you haven't seen him, here is the question, do you love him? Is that where your faith is? C.S. Lewis makes this point about faith and about love and it's the necessity of it in Christianity by saying this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. See, the reality is, if your faith is in Jesus, then everything is interpreted through that faith. Everything is measured by this reality 
I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus. Second, I want you to note the relationship that faith has with joy and glory and final salvation. This is in verse 9. Though you do not now, this is the, uh, this, the middle of verse 8 going into verse 9. Though you do not now see him, you don't see him. You have not seen him, but you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him. There's faith. You believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Here it is. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. What is the outcome of faith for those who believe in Jesus Christ? Here it is. The salvation of your souls. The equation is quite simple. Faith plus nothing plus nothing plus nothing equals the salvation of your souls. Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing plus nothing plus nothing plus nothing equals the salvation of your souls. You see, these things are tied together, the love and faith that we have in Jesus Christ, and the conclusion of our love and faith in Jesus is salvation. They're tied together. They aren't achievements. It's not self-righteousness. We are putting our faith and love and hope in Jesus, who does the saving. He's the one we love but haven't seen. He's the one we believe but are not seeing. Faith is when we have all of our hope in something we believe to be true, though might not have witnessed it for ourselves. Let me put it to you like this. No matter what they might go through, believers believe. No matter what the various trial is that a believer might be going through, this much is always certain. Believers believe. And so we, we read this section, you go, oh, maybe now for a little while, it, 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 you're going through a various trial if necessary. The, everything is being tried. You haven't seen Jesus, but you love him, and, and you're not seeing him now, but you believe in him. And, and, and what is Peter trying to say that ultimately the climax of everything will be the salvation of your souls? He's trying to say, if you believe, it doesn't really matter what you go through. The end, the outcome, the climax or zenith of your faith will be no matter what, salvation. How can he say this so emphatically? Because believers believe. Let me say that again. No matter what they might go through, believers believe. Ask yourself this morning, friends, where your faith is. As a believer, are you believing? Now, this is not to say that we have weak days or moments of doubt or questions for God. That is not sin, by the way. It is a sin when you go, I don't even know why, why ask him. He's not going to answer me. In the Psalms, we see people go to God all the time with questions. Why, God? How long, God? When, God? Where are you, God? We, we see this, and that, by the way, friends, that's faith. It's not faith to not ask God. Wait. It's faith to ask a God you believe in questions that you believe he's the only one can answer.
you know, these people that you talk to and they go, well, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to test God. You're not testing him by praying to him. You're not testing him by doing what he's commanded you to do. That's just a punt. The reality is, believers believe, even on their worst days, even in the most difficult situations, if they have nothing else to hold on to, they can say, I don't know all that's going on right now, and I don't know why, but I believe you, and I trust you, and more importantly, I love you. To close, let me say this, church. As Christians, we may face dangers, toils, and snares. And if we reflect on the life that we've lived, you and I probably could come up with some instances like Newton where we see God's hand of providence in protecting and providing for us. The reality, though, that you and I must come to today is a reality that says, as Christians, we will go through various trials. It's not just persecution or mockery for our faith. We will go through various trials, but how is our faith in Jesus? Is it intact? Is our love intact? Knowing that we have a reward waiting for us and that the climax of our faith will be one day, not just a reward, but the salvation of our souls.